we did um, commercial plant designs at a number of different sites. And as an example, I'm going to give you where I live, uh, my favorite place, San Francisco. So uh, the, the wave energy plant was sized for nominal 300,000 megawatts of yearly output. That turns out to be about a rating of 106 megawatts, enough for 25,000 homes. So it needed 152 of these oscillating water column devices or 213 of these sea snake devices, and they would look something, something like that. It would be a, a farm of devices, much like you're used to seeing wind farms. We're under the Golden Gate Bridge, size to extract 15% of the available kinetic energy. The idea here is that, you know, Mother, we think that as long as we don't try and take away too much from Mother Nature, she won't give us any negative ecological effects in the, in the estuary. We don't know what the real number is. We're guessing 15% of these at this time. If these are modular devices, we recommend that you put them in in modules and do a year of environmental monitoring. And if there's no ecological effect, you put in a few more. Sort of build up the site that way. So the plant in San Francisco at 15% of the energy turns out to also be 106 megawatts, 35 megawatts average, 27,000 homes. And this is what the devices would look like. These are this, these are big machines. These diameters are 18 meters in diameter. Six of them on, this is a, uh, not an airfoil, but a water foil, such that once a tidal stream flows, this thing raises up a little bit, mounted on a monopile. Mono and this is a ducted, ducted uh, turbine, uh, in this case. So that snake one is not visible? It won't be visible at all? Yeah, I, and, I, and I'm going to show you a picture of that in just a minute. You're right, it's not visible from the coast. You want it to be visible from near, when you're within a mile or so of it, because if you're on a boat, you know, you want to see it. I mean, it's, it's going to be have buoys and be all marked, but you want it to be, to, to be you know, visible from a, from a boat. But two to three miles from the shore, you don't want it to be visible. Okay, we looked at cost of electricity. So this is cost, bus far wholesale cost of electricity versus cumulative production experience or learning. The yellow curve is the, is the wind historical curve and $2,005 with production tax credits. So in 1982, it had 100 megawatts of installed capacity, and it was at 20 cents per kilowatt hour. Today, it's out at uh, 40 to 50,000 megawatts of worldwide installed capacity, and it down at four to five cents per kilowatt hour. That's with the two cent production tax credit. So it would be six to seven cents without that. Wave, because of the higher power density, the lower capital costs of the machine, even though it has higher operation and maintenance costs, it's always below the wind curve at any equivalent production line. And it's going to start out, we think, in the in the 16 to to uh, in the 16 cent range, and it'll come down. We'll learn the same, basically, pretty close to the same learning curve as wind did. Tidal, as it turns out, is a different story. And those handful of really good sites, it's economical today, even though there's no plant in the world yet built like this. Yet the first plant will be economical because basically the technology leverages off the existing wind technology and the power density is just orders of magnitude greater than what on-land wind machines see. And so on the, the green box compares, those are, these are the numbers that we, that we publish in terms of what the, what the cost of electricity is for other options. So wind is in the, what, four and a half, six and a half, solar troughs are 18 cents. Coal, which you can order today, and, and you could have you know built in a year or so. Um, it, it's four about four cents per kilowatt hour. It's very well 
understood number in the, in the country. Natural gas from, uh, from my cycle is about six and a half cents. Now, of course, both of these put out carbon, carbon dioxide. And on the next chart, I'm going to tell you, at every we think that it's only prudent to plan for a carbon-constrained world. And so all the work that we're doing makes that assumption. And so here we have the same cents per kilowatt hour. This time, on the horizontal axis, the cost of carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere on a dollar per kilowatt basis. So coal starts out here around four and a half cents with no cost of putting carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Uh, carbon conventional coal plant today roughly puts out about eight-tenths of a ton per megawatt hour. And so if the, if the cost, if, if there's a cost of that of, say, $50, $50 per ton, that has another four cents per kilowatt hour. So you're up at eight cents per kilowatt hour. Of course, wind does not put out any, any, any carbon dioxide. Average of wind in the U.S. today is here, 29% capacity factor. It's at the seven and a half cents without production tax credit number. The very best wind sites offshore or in North Dakota is, is, is over here, so it's, it's a little bit lower. Wave's going to start out of here, so it needs some incentive to get, it needs some government subsidy to get through the early, early adopter period, get it driven down the learning curve. So this is the 20 time, 2010 time period. In, in 2020, now, I'm making the assumption that we have doubled the cumulative volume <coughs> of wind. So it's now gone from 50 gigawatts to 100 gigawatts. So it, it's come down, its cost is now 18% less. That's the learning that, that has been experienced over the past 20 years. So wind is down here. Coal hasn't changed, of course. And now wave, I've assumed 50 gigawatts. So we've gone from 100 megawatts, say in, in the 2010 time period, we've really gone wild or rolled away. Okay, and we got 50 gigawatts out there. It's it's way down here. It's down below, down below the very the very best wind. So it's going to beat wind at half of the cumulative production volume. Now looking at tidal, uh, I get the same coal planted, same coal plotted here. Uh, now I put in some some tidal numbers. Tidal is really highly dependent upon the site. So I get three sites here. And we'll start with start with the best. My house pasture. Uh, we're looking at, at cost of electricity, like in the, in the five cent per kilowatt hour range. But it's by far the, the most power dense site, and, and the mass is just huge. So big, big site, very, very high power power density. Golden Gate Bridge is next, and then uh, Tacoma, Tacoma, Tacoma on Arrows is, is uh, after that. So depending on what you make, what, what you make your assumption in terms of the externality cost of putting carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, you can see that the tidal plants are going to be cost competitive. Okay, let me tell you about the projects and some of the environmental regulatory issues. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. I'm glad to, to give Rich this uh, presentation uh, on my USB stick, and then he can post it on, on, on your website or you know, whatever. But anyway, there is uh, five ongoing projects, wave energy projects in North America. To be a project, private investor had to have applied for a permit to the Federal Energy Regulatory Committee. That's my definition. Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. That's my definition of a project. So the very first one was the ocean power technology one in Hawaii. I showed you the picture. There's uh, one that's been in, in, in uh, permitting in Washington State for five years. Also in Point Judith, Rhode Island for five years. The brand new first commercial plant in Oregon uh, just happened in, in June. 
uh, and then the, the Lincoln County one in Oregon in July. And my prediction is in purple. There will be North Carolina plants uh, started this year. Title project, there's a bunch of them. The very first one was uh, in the Merrimack River in Massachusetts, that vertical axis going-off device. Uh, then the one in, in the East River is next, funded by NYSERDA, the one I showed you the picture of. Uh, then, the, then there's a one in Canada, a place called Race Rocks. This is off-grid. This is to uh, power a little college, Pearson College, uh, up, up in northern British uh, Columbia. Uh, that's supposed to be installed this year. Then there's the Minas Passage. That's going to be a big facility. Uh, in fact, I'm, I traveled to, to Nova Scotia on Saturday. They hired us as a consultant. We've done the Phase 1 study, and they think we have some expertise that we can help them through the Phase 2 detailed design and permitting phase, and then into the Phase 3 construction and into Phase 4 testing. And then Tacoma Narrows, Tacoma Power has applied for a permit. Snohomish Public Utility District in Upper Puget Sound has applied for them. And uh, uh, Oceana, a private investor, has the Golden, the Golden Gate Bridge. So what are, the, what are some frequently asked questions? The first one is, will these devices affect the environment? And the simple answer is yes, of course, everything man does. You're all little point sources of carbon dioxide yourself. You all affect, you all, we all affect the, the uh, environment. But we really believe, given proper siting and proper care and design and installation operation and maintenance, this will be the most benign electricity generation technology known to man. But these are the, these are the key issues uh, that people have. Uh, there are some environmental impact statements that have been written. Uh, Bill Collins, environmental consultant in Hawaii, did this in the Navy project. Fonzie is not, if you have watched TV, old TV shows, Happy Days, there's a guy named Fonzie. This means finding of no significant impact. Fonzie. Divine Torval, another environmental company, did one for the, uh, for the uh, wave energy project in Washington State. There's been many, many European environmental impact statements. They've all found no significant impact. But they're all studies, of course. We really need to put some hardware in the water to really know. So this is the question about visual appearance. Okay, so what you're looking at here is this Palamas device out two miles in the European Marine Energy Center from the coast. You're up on a cliff. You're zoomed in real, real tight now. Now, now we're going to zoom out to, to normal eye optics on the, up on the cliff on the coast. <clears throat> here we go. And basically, you, you can't you can't see it when you're back, when you're back on the cliff. It's, there's just very little very little freeboard. There's only a couple of feet uh, of, of device above above the surface of the water. And there's so much haze and fog and stuff in the air you can't you can't see it. Another one is will the regulatory authorities grant a permit for offshore wave power and tidal power plants? That's a big question mark. Uh, they are in other countries, but whether they're going to do it in the U.S. It's still a big question mark. Will these devices survive storms? Well, I'm going to show you a picture of this sea snake device. This has a very small frontal surface. So if you're, if you're at, the, at the beach and a big wave is coming and you're there up to, your, up to the middle of your chest, what do you do? Do you stand there? What do you do? Hey, okay. Well, guess what this device is going to do? This is a hundred. This is a subscale test, a hundred-year wave, and there it is, right there. There's there's a hundred-year wave, right there. 
it dives right into it. It attenuates, it reduces the amplitude. Its, it's, it's, its amplitude is not the same as the amplitude of the, of the, of the wave. So the idea is, is that you don't try for 100% energy ex extraction because you probably can't survive the storm if you, if you do that. Now there's a bunch of other, bunch of other ideas that haven't been uh, really, really used. Like there's an idea of, well, gee, if there's a big storm coming, you just winch it down to where, where it's safe, way under the water. Another idea is you build a big truss structure up above it. And you pick it up out of the water above the waves. There's all kinds of ideas. But, you know, engineers can figure out a way to make them, make them survivable. Okay, so from a regulatory standpoint, right now, the, uh, it's pretty confusing. If a plant's greater than three miles away from the shore, the primary jurisdiction is with the Mineral Management Service, and, but the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, you can't ever get them off your back. Well, what did I do? I touched something. I touched the screen. I touched the screen. Yeah, touch, touch the laptop button. Touch what button? It says laptop. Okay. Thank you. I got to keep my hands off that screen. <laughs> Slap my hands. Okay, so uh, greater, greater than three miles is um, mineral management service. Uh, less than three miles is FERC, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. If it's greater than three miles in a marine sanctuary, then it's FERC and NOAA. So boy, <laughs> pretty confusing. There's also state jurisdiction that typically is with the State Department of, of, of Lands. They own the, the seabed out to three miles. Uh, title, it's always, you're always by definition within three miles, so it's always FERC. And the key environmental issues I've already talked a little bit about. So uh, our study for next year, we had so much fun doing the wave and the tidal studies the past two years. Next year we're going to do a river study, in-stream river. So we'll go into the headlands where the, where the rivers start and look for high gravity gradient areas and gorges where the river is flowing real, real fast. And we'll put these tidal devices in there. But they're not going to be bidirectional anymore, they can be unidirectional. And of course, they're not salt water, it's fresh water. And it doesn't have the diurnal cycle, it's now it's a yearly, basically, rainfall cycle. And we don't know what the, we don't know what the power density that we need this for it to be economical. That's one of, the, one of the questions is to find out what that is and to look for good sites. The idea is to get rid of dams and diversionary flows and, and, and not make it difficult for the salmon to swim upstream. And, uh, and not flood uh, flood flood places where people live behind the dams. Minimum environmental impacts. So that's the plan for next year. I hope to do five U.S. watersheds and four Canadian watersheds. The big ones. The big the big ones only. Nothing in nothing in North Carolina. Then my real long-term vision is you know you probably heard about this Cape Wind project in Nantucket Sound where uh, Senator Kennedy, the famous uh, environmentalist. Uh, doesn't want the view from his from his beach destroyed by having a windmill that he can see from his beach. So he's against this wind, you know, project. It's over a hundred windmills. Yeah, yeah, a lot, of, a lot, a lot, a lot of them. But you can only see them, by the way, on the very clearest day, and you can only see the very tip of the blade. But anyway, apart from that, apart from that, I say, hey, let's just wipe that aesthetic issue right off the table. Let's go over the horizon. Just forget about the whole issue. But when we go over the horizon, in most places now, we're going to be so deep, technology doesn't allow us to use monopiles. We're going to have to have a floating platform. Now, that's new, new technology, putting wind machines on floating platforms. And it's going to cost more than even, I mean, offshore, near shore wind systems cost more than land-based wind. Well, 
way offshore is going to cost even more. So we need to find a way to bring the cost down. And to me, the obvious answer is, well, make it a hybrid. There's a lot of synergies between wave and, and, and offshore wind. You know, it's the same transmission cable. You can use the same structure. They have the same company build it, operate it, and maintain it. The same vessels to go out and service it, on and on and on. You know, it's, it's going to, the cost of electricity is going to come down if you make it a hybrid synergistic system. So this is not funded yet, and probably won't be for another five years because it's probably 25 years away, but I like to think of a powerplex way out there in the ocean sometime, maybe not even in your lifetime, I don't know. Who knows, it may even be a mobile, it may even be an airport out there that has wind machines on it and wave machines, or maybe a military base out in the ocean, or maybe it's a port. Instead of having our containers that maybe contain nuclear, you know, during nuclear bomb come into the port of Oakland, let's inspect them way out in the ocean. Who knows? Just a, kind of a weird visionary thing. So here's what, it might, well, here's what a small one may, may look like. This is an oscillating water column with a couple of, couple of wind machines. I stole this from, this picture was of the Japan Mighty Whale uh, uh, oscillating water column wave device from the 70s. So I stole that picture because the company's out of business, and I threw a couple of wind turbines on there. And then here's this really big, huge base. I mean, you can see these are, each one of those, those turbines, which you can hardly see, those are, those are five megawatt turbines apiece. Those are the big GE turbines they haven't even built yet. They're huge. Anyway, so what's, what's the bottom line uh, on this? The bottom line is that, you know, again, I think this is a significant resource, an indigenous resource. Let's keep the wealth here. We need a balanced and diversified portfolio. There's no silver bullets in this business. Clean. Economics appear to be close to other options. And what I think I'm doing is I think I'm trying to start a new industry in this country that could, maybe even my, in my lifetime, have, have uh, thousands of people working in it and create billions of dollars of economic output. Energy is a big, big business, probably the biggest in the country. So this is big stuff. Uh, here, here's an example. We, 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 we did, some, uh, uh, did some analysis of just building one, one plant. It would employ 300 people for a year, uh, direct, indirect, and, and, and induced jobs. And operation and maintenance on a continual basis, it's a 24, crew of 24 people. Um, the biggest impediment, there's no technology impediments here. This is existing technology. The only impediment is the government that comes and says, we're here to help you. Well, you know what? We got three big problems with the government. One is they're not funding any, any RD&D. I mean, the government's funded every energy, any, every energy supply <coughs> they have. I mean, they're right, right today, they're planning a billion-dollar clean coal demonst demonstration project. They're funding nuclear technology but they're funding zero on ocean energy. Zero. I'm going there tomorrow to, to head, headquarters, Department of Energy, complain again. They're sick of me. <laughs> uh, a, po a politician who did the Energy Policy Act, a staffer, I'm sorry, staffer, when they were writing the Energy Policy Act of 2005 that Bush signed in August, they decided to give, to extend the wind credit, the wind production tax credit. And they asked me, how much wave are you going to have for the next 10 years? That's almost nothing. I said, but it'd really be you know, a good sign to give wave a production tax credit, even though it's not going to cost the taxpayer hardly anything, because there's going to be very little capacity the next 10 years anyway. So do it as a good sign. 
Well, they cut it out. They, they did. <laughs> so they're so technically smart up there that when a blade is turned by the air, that, that's good for society. That gets a two cent per kilowatt hour benefit. But if that same blade is turned by water, no, that's not good for society. That doesn't get a two cent production credit. That's just kind of ridiculous. Okay, and the last thing is regulatory uncertainty. We, we went through and tried to estimate how many agencies have to approve one of these projects, even if you're only putting in one device, a pilot project. It's over 20. Over 20 agencies. I mean, these, these companies that are developing this technology are passionate, enthusiastic individuals that are working out of their garages that are mortgaging their homes to do it. They, can, they don't have the money to deal with these 20 agencies. So how could the government help? I wrote these eight items two and a half years ago. Well, they've done one of them, the simplest. They did number four. They joined the International Energy Agency. They paid $5,000 to join the International Energy Agency's Ocean Energy Systems Program. But the other seven they haven't uh, addressed. Uh, and and they, really, they really need to. And it's going to happen. The, the momentum is building. The pressure is getting put on Congress. Uh, and con basically, the Department of Energy can't do anything with the current, admi current administration. Congress may direct them this year. It'll either be this October or next October. There will be a Department of Energy program in ocean energy. Uh, example of government help. You know, in Europe, they are helping. The Portuguese said, we don't want to be addicted to oil, and they're doing something about it. They gave this first wave plant a 45 cent per kilowatt hour feed-in tariff. They want, to, they want to import renewable energy into Portugal, and they're doing something about it. Our country says, we don't want to be addicted to oil, but yet we're not doing anything about it. The UK has a long history of support, uh, funding uh, research, and research and development, building national test facilities. And this picture on the bottom right is called a wave hub. They are permitting, permitting and built the, the socket and the transmission cable for which device developers can come in and plug in to here and start selling electricity into the UK. The developers don't need to worry about the, the, the regulatory stuff's already done. Well, the, except for the device-specific stuff. So the EPRI program, in summary, is a public benefit program. We've published over 30 reports. They're available on this website to anyone. Uh, and let me just, for a couple of minutes, let me take five more minutes and go through where I don't feel very comfortable, and that's fossil fuel. But you know that people that are making decisions today about the next generation <laughs> of power plants that we're going to live with for the next 30, 40, 50 years, have a, they're living in a high world of high uncertainty. What's the future cost of carbon dioxide? What's the future price of natural gas? What's the storage of spent, how much does it cost to store spent nuclear fuel for the next 150,000 years? The capture and storage of carbon dioxide, they, they get a, really, it's a hard problem. What do they do? You know, Duke just uh, applied for two new coal plants here in, in North Carolina. We think that uh, prudent investment decisions need to assume a carbon-constrained future and that R&D can make a big difference. Here's these same curves where I just showed pulverized coal before, and now I've added a whole bunch of other things, biomass and nuclear and uh, natural gas. Um, so, you know, if, if we don't develop these carbon capturing and storing technologies and we have a high cost of carbon dioxide in the future, that means our electricity prices are going to be, go way, way up. We need to find an economically efficient way of, of, of meeting our environmental goals. So if, in fact, we found that through our studies that if we, in fact, do that R&D and develop that carbon capture and storage technology, we can bunch up even the fossil fuel options in the 
20 time period. We have an opportunity to do that now and still provide electricity at the less than seven cents per kilowatt hour in $2,005 in a basis. But it's really important that we do that technology. So uh, basically the bottom line is that uh, you being a science and sometimes advising uh, policy makers, uh, the, the, the message is, hey, research and development, just cap and trade by itself isn't going to do it. Uh, I mean, people are just going to avoid, you know, and it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to put in the R&D investment, even though we have, even though if the whole rest of the country goes like California just did, just announcing a, a new carbon cap, cap, and, cap and trade system. Um, that's basically it. So, I guess we have another 20 minutes for discussion. Does anyone have any questions? Oh, it's so quiet. <laughs> Thank you first. <laughs> Who wants to be first? 